Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. Come a calling, lonely voices talking to me. Now I'm gone, now I'm gone, now I'm gone. So turtles hide. When life gets disrupted for a turtle, it's easy. They pull their head in and they barely peek out at the scary world around them. Possum, they, these are fantastic critters, right? Because not only do they play dead, and convincingly so, they can also emit a, uh, a, a little bit of like scent that makes you really actually think they're, they're goners, uh, which is sort of disgusting. Um, we also have seen par- uh, owners who can train their, their rabbits <laughs> to play dead, which to me is just awesome. Like if you can have a rabbit and be like, bang, and they go, Bleh! and they like, they play dead, which of course for a rabbit in the wild, that's... That's actually a pretty important skill, Uh, but birds do it as well. That is not an actual dead parrot. It is a parrot playing dead, which is incredible. Snakes do this, all sorts of animals. Uh, There there was one that caught my attention. It was was a a horse that never wanted to be ridden, and so every time somebody tries to get on it, or it looks like they're going to... (laughs) He just is like, no, man, I'm out. I'm I'm dead. There's just (laughs) absolutely. How about this mouse? The cat caught him. (laughs) I love this. This is every hunter's dream. (laughs) When life gets disrupted for animals, we always hear about this fight or flight, but apparently there's also this this hide and play dead thing that they can do as well. And I think sometimes when our lives are disrupted, I wonder how often we do something similar. How often do we run and hide? Or how often do we withdraw and play dead? This is the last week of our series called Disrupted, and we're asking, uh, what, what is it like to live in the midst of life's huge disruptions? These, there's these life-altering moments, and what is it like 
to live in the midst of these disruptions. And we've been looking at the life of Joseph from the Old Testament, trying to get some guidance from God's word because of how incredibly Joseph's life was disrupted. In the last couple of weeks, we saw how easy it is when life gets turned upside down for us to really start to get upside down ourselves. We can get angry with God. We can let resentment start to infect our hearts toward the people that have caused our, our life's disruptions. We can even lose faith. But there is another risk that we haven't explored, and I, I want to talk about it as playing dead, which I think happens to many of us. We enter survival mode. It's kind of a little bit of fight or flight mixed in with a touch of circling the wagons, make sure we keep everyone at bay. It's followed by a healthy dose of playing dead. And if you can just simply add a whole lot of whining to that and a woe is me mentality, and you capture how many of us react when life smacks us around. I think it's tempting for us in moments like that to stop doing the things we ought, to try to protect our limited resources, to withdraw, maybe even let fear bench us, maybe even sort of freeze a little bit on the sidelines. I think this happens to us, and I think you can quickly go back into your own memories and see when those things took place. I know for me, if I go back and I think about the times where I felt like life really smacked me around, my, one of my strongest temptations is to simply pull back and conserve what little resources I have left. Make certain I'm, I'm protecting them for my own use. Make certain that I'm not actually putting out anything because what I need right now is for the world to sort of build me up. But is that really the best that Christ followers have to offer the world? I don't think so. Not if the example of Joseph has anything to teach us. We're going to be looking at a passage right next to the one we looked at last week. It's actually just going to pick up right uh, where we were. So if you could open in the scriptures there. I'll give you a little bit of background to it as well, in case uh, you missed uh, one or two of the last weeks, or if this is your first time here. So Joseph's name means God will give, or God will add. It means something like that, which is uh, kind of a, a neat piece of this narrative, because if you were listening to the story of Joseph, you would hear his name, and you would know if you were a native speaker that, 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 that of, of Hebrew, that, that, oh, that's what it means, that God is going to add. God is going to, he's going to give something here to Joseph. And when you start hearing the story, you're like, yeah, it looks like it's playing out that way because Joseph starts off with such a great storyline. He's loved by his dad. I mean, he's the favored son. He seems somehow privileged in the midst of his clan which looks pretty promising, he's somehow different from his brothers. And, you know, that uniqueness makes us think maybe he's going to sort of stand out and shine. And then we find out that he gets these dreams, and these dreams might very well be from God, and they point to this incredible future. And so you start to sort of, you know, the anticipation can start to build in the story where you might start thinking that God is going to give some pretty significant gifts to Joseph and his family. Maybe God will add. Maybe God will add blessing upon blessing. 
to Joseph and the family. Not so much. Joseph was betrayed by his family. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. He was forgotten by those he helped, and he spent many years suffering through no fault of his own. So if you think about this, my goodness, God, he, he certainly did give. He certainly did add. He gave Joseph heartache, and he added a whole lot of suffering on top of that heartache. Not how we'd hoped the story would play out, and certainly not how we hope our own stories will play out. I mean, if anyone had a reason to gripe, it was this guy. That's not what we see. Instead, we're, we look at Joseph's life and we hear him say that he wouldn't blame those who hurt him. In fact, he refused to blame those who hurt him. Instead, he practiced godly forgetfulness. That's what we spoke about last week. He offered forgiveness to those who had caused his heartache. Joseph understood that what others meant for evil, God turned toward good. And he says it with such conviction. These are some of the practical tools that we learned thus far in the series when we are facing life's disruptions. The final practical tool that we're going to learn from Joseph is hinted at in the name of his second son. We looked at the first son last week, but the second son also lets us know a little bit about what's going on. So Genesis chapter 45, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in, I think I put 41 up there. It might be 45. Is it 41, 50? All right, that's before the years of famine came. Is that the one? All right, ready? So 50. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Esenah, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. We looked at him last week. And he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. 52. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So the second son, Ephraim. Let's say that together with confidence. Ephraim. Let's do that right confidently. All right, ready, ready. Ephraim. Now, the thing is, when you get to a name in the Bible, you don't know how to pronounce. I asked Trevor how he would pronounce this. It was totally different from how I pronounce it. And so the point is, whenever you get to a name you don't know how to pronounce, just say it confidently. Most people won't question you. So that's kind of the rule of thumb. You're out there, just go for it as boldly as you can, and nobody really questions it, so don't worry about it. Ephraim, it means fruitful. So what is your land of suffering? It's a helpful exercise to kind of put our minds in there. What is your land of suffering? Is it, is it chronic pain? I speak to many of you. I know how often this shows up in life. Maybe it was the unfair Firing from a life career, maybe it's family turmoil brought on not by any fault of your own or economic ruin that you're facing, maybe because of some such a whole set of circumstances that are beyond your control. Maybe you have a career that is simply overwhelming you and your family with all of its demands and you simply cannot keep up. You know, what is your land of suffering. 
Because when you, do, what, you know what it is. You know what it's like to live in that land of suffering. And you can, and you can experience it. And you know what it feels like. Right? It feels like the, that life and vitality is being sucked out of you in that land. And you ask yourself, is it really possible to be fruitful in my land of suffering? Is it really possible to be fruitful in the land of suffering? So what does it mean to be fruitful? I think this is a key thing for us to sort of begin to understand, to know what it would look like to be fruitful in the land of suffering. Because it's one thing, you could start, you could, you could list out all sorts of values that don't actually line up with God's word. So let's figure out what we could talk about in terms of fruitful according to God's word. Well, if by fruitful you mean having integrity, then yes, that is a key part of fruitfulness in the land of suffering. But I, this is certainly not easy to do, especially during disruption. Some of you might be familiar with the acronym HALT. It's the idea that when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that we are more susceptible to sin. Some of the recovery programs talk about this. A lot of uh, doctor psychiatrists will talk about it because they recognize that when life is disruptive, we have all of these other problems that might sneak up on us if we're really not careful. It's hard to be fruitful with integrity in the land of suffering. Psychologists, they talk about this thing called ego depletion. And so you can think about it like the, the will, your, your self-control, they, they talk about it like it's a muscle, like any of your other muscles. And, and you can build them, you can make it stronger for sure, but no matter what, eventually those muscles fatigue and they fail and they will give out on you eventually. And that's a really scary thought, but the, some of the tests they use are fascinating. They, they say, they show that, the, that college students who hit the gym more often will also show more destructive self-behaviors like drinking. And they're saying, look, this is, you, you've exhausted yourself over here and you end up not making good decisions over here. They had this one experiment where they, had make, they made people watch a sad movie, like, like I don't know, the notebook or something. Um, not that I cry at it, but the point is it's a sad, some people say it's a sad movie, Logan. And, um, and so, so as Logan and I cry watching the notebook, um, what ends up happening is, is they say now that they'll give you a strength test later. And they actually show that people who are trying to hold back tears, showing the discipline to not be impacted, they, they give up quicker on the, on the strength test. Like you wouldn't even think these things are related, but they are. We're, we're these interconnected beings, these creatures, that when we are facing significant struggles, it opens us up to all sorts of other temptations and fights. This is why when you're facing marital struggles, you might be more susceptible to sexual temptation. When you're suffering physical pain, you might simply be meaner to the people around you. You see, your integrity starts to go out the window. So fruitfulness in the midst of life's disruptions is hard. When Joseph was working in Potiphar's house and later in prison, his masters learned to totally trust him. And that only happens through integrity. The ability to consistently hold fast 
to a set of values that are even outside of ourselves. When Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph in a, a little side project, Joseph refuses her sexual advances. That's integrity. That's self-control. When he was in prison, he showed incredible patience. When he was serving in Pharaoh's service, he, was showed, he showed complete honesty and trustworthiness. When facing his brothers, years after they betrayed him, he showed them love and gentleness. Integrity. In all of these trials. And what I love is that these traits that Joseph showed are actually called fruit in the New Testament. There's this great passage in Galatians. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? There it is. You want to be fruitful in this world, then it looks like love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. All of these heart habits that we get to experience even when life turns upside down. And this is so key. Well, you got to really kind of take a thought here because... You know, if you're talking about having love in the midst of times when you don't want to feel loving, you're going to need something beyond yourself to grab onto. Talking about joy, that great word, forbearance. Forbearance. To be able to hold fast in the face of your trials. Hold fast to what? Hold fast to the fruitfulness of the Spirit. To be able to do that with integrity, with gentleness. Yeah, it's okay. I snapped at that guy, but I'm having a really tough week. That, gentleness. Where is the self-control? Yeah, well, yeah, clearly I screwed up and I have my whole, that whole thing that happened to me, but it's because of what's going on over here. We give ourselves permission almost to do things we ought not to do. And he tells us here, those who belong to Christ Jesus, our flesh is already being crucified. Those sinful tendencies, they're supposed to be up on the cross with Christ and we're to receive his forgiveness. But he tells us that these are the fruit of the Spirit and that we get to live by the power of the Spirit in us. And you've got to kind of put a pin in that. We'll come back to that in a minute. But that, that's a key idea here to help us understand what's going on. There's a second type of fruitfulness. I'm going to call it productivity, but it's not really a great word for it, but it's all I could come up with this week. And, and, but it's kind of, I'm broad brushing with this word a little bit. But here, here's the idea. I think this is very challenging. When, when we have, you know, no more margin in our lives, or however we want to describe that, when we are worn out and when we are overwhelmed, I think it's easy for us to think that the world owes us. Now someone else needs to kind of step up and, and deliver the goods for me. It's time for them to serve my needs. Because look, I'm, I'm beaten down here already. I got nothing left to give. And because of that, I need someone else to jump in and do this stuff. And, and again, there... I don't want to put all of the, the, the our, you know, all of our eggs in this basket of productivity for a whole lot of other spiritual reasons, but, but I think that we, we, we turn, the, the point is I think we can turn inward 
because we start to obsess about our difficult circumstances and our situations. I'm not saying they're not hard. But when Joseph was a slave, he worked diligently at whatever God put in his path. No matter where he found himself, when he was in prison, he found people to help. In fact, he served the prison warden diligently. When Pharaoh gave him great responsibility, he set, him to, he set himself to that task fully and completely. And so no matter what his suffering or heartache or loneliness, Joseph did whatever God put in front of him. He found those, those kingdom principles and he did it in a kingdom way. He helped people, he worked hard, he served others rather than demanding to be served. Now, of course, researchers tell us, and we all know this, that helping others really does help us. And so there is a, a little bit of self-seeking in this, if you really think of it, uh, the way that we understand these things to really work. So, you know, you'll live longer and you'll have lower blood pressure and helping people alleviates your chronic pain. It increases grades for teenagers and enhances our overall sense of well-being and increases our sense of purpose. There was one study that said that volunteers who gave even a couple hours a week describe themselves as happier than the general population, all other things being controlled in their lives. Just they help out others and of course they're happier, which you know we already know this because Jesus told us that it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. We all, we all know that so it's just great to know that science is finally catching up with Jesus. But so it's really helpful. But, uh, but, you know, the point is here, we can't hide in our shell. We can't play dead when we're in the midst of our disruptive moments. We can't sit around all day doing nothing, simply licking our wounds. We can offer the world better than that. We can see what God is setting before us, and we can simply get to it. Another type of fruitfulness is uh, you know, reproduction. And uh, when we talk about it in kind of the physical way, it makes sense. Because here Joseph is, you know, he finally has kids in the land of his suffering. And so there's some sort of productivity. You could even call this the fruit of his loins. The fruit of his loins. That's an old term that we used to talk about, the loins. Uh, which is, you know, so Cheryl and I, um, we uh, early on when uh, we were having kids, uh, the kids were still really, really young, and we decided that we would not lie to our children. You know, parents, we often lie to our kids about all sorts of things, like, you know, Easter Bunny and Santa and things like this. But anyway, the point is that, you know, we, don't, we, we decided we were going to, like, just as best we could, we were going to be as straightforward and honest with our kids, uh, which always made for some really interesting conversations, because full honesty doesn't mean that we always said everything that was true. Sometimes you left out truth. Um, and you just tried to evade it until like a later time. And so like you're having the conversation one time and uh, one of our kids says to us, uh, so hey dad, you know, where do babies come from? And I says, you know where babies come from. I said, you know, you, you, we, you see the, the, you know, the pregnant ladies and there's babies there in their bellies. And I go, yeah, but you know, like how, you know, how, do, how does the baby like, you know, get in mom's belly, in the mom's belly? And I says, well, you know, what happened is, you know, me, the dad, I, I put a seed in mom's belly and it finds the egg and when the seed and the egg get together it produces a baby 
And I was like, it was perfect. Like, I did it. I was straightforward and honest. And, of course, you're right. And so, the, of course, our, kid, our, our son asked us, so, Dad, how do you get the seed in Mom's belly? And I said, listen, that's, that's, that's a big one. That's a big one. You Very carefully. <laughs> very carefully. I had a couple of friends of mine. They're like, very carefully is not how I would describe it. But uh, his child is called fruitful. They are the fruit of his loins, so to speak. But, of course, it isn't just his kids that come into, into focus here because Joseph, the work that he's going to do in, in Egypt, ends up saving not just his kids from hunger and starvation, but it saves a whole lot of other kids throughout the whole region. In fact, it saves all of his nieces and nephews, the rest of his, his brothers and sisters. The whole family ends up being saved. And because of that great salvation, which looked like it was just helping a family of about 70 people, God actually used that salvation to expand the family of Israel and made them into a great nation over the next 400 years. They became this massive people that we know today as the nation of Israel. Millions upon millions strong. You see, there was a fruitfulness in the reproduction that took place in the people of God in the midst of life's disruptions. And it isn't hard for us then to make the jump into the work that Jesus did. Because he goes on in John, this is Jesus now speaking, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. There's this idea again. What kind of fruit is he talking about? Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. He's talking about the same sort of an idea. He's like, I want you to be fruitful in this world. But he wants it to be a fruit that will last. And this is where the idea of reproduction really kicks in. Jesus goes on to say that when the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, this back to the Spirit. Remember, we saw the Spirit in Galatians. But the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So the idea is that Jesus is going to leave. He's going to send the Spirit. The Spirit is going to testify about Jesus. And then the disciples are going to hear the story from, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And they're going to make that testimony known in the world. See, they're going to become fruitful by sharing this essential message of salvation that comes through Christ. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. He's saying, this is the story. This is the work that Jesus did. He has taken the message of eternal life that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to the, to the early church, and they are going to, in turn, tell it to other people. And as they tell the message of salvation in Christ to other people, more and more people will be born into the family of God. This is 
fruitfulness. The fruit of his loins is right here with eternal life going to more and more people as they come to accept Christ as Savior. And he speaks about how the Spirit will testify to the apostles and the apostles are meant to go and testify and bear witness. That's the fruit. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so here's Jesus saying, you want to understand what I'm doing here? This message will be not just for this age and this generation, but for hundreds and now thousands of years. The message that is going to be coming to us through the Holy Spirit is going to go out through all of the people of God and we too will be fruitful. And in that message is the hope of salvation in Christ because now the world will come to know that God loves them. What a gift to be fruitful in this way. To be able to reproduce, you see, fruitfulness means living your life in such a way as to draw people to Jesus, to share your faith in the midst of life's disruptions, to represent the power of the Spirit in you no matter what is going on, so that people could see you even in the midst of your suffering and say, there is something different there. And yes, it's the power of Christ through the Spirit's prompting and equipping we become so self-focused when we're suffering, and yet our momentary struggles pale in comparison to the suffering that people will face if they enter eternity without Jesus. I asked Mark if I could share the story, but we had a, a beautiful funeral service for the Kanena family, for Mark's dad. And uh, Chris, he played some songs. We were there at the graveside uh, with the family and the friends, and and uh, I shared a couple words from Lazarus' story. And then Mark got up and told some great stories about his dad. It was very heartwarming and very touching. And then he, sh he switched gears. And he just, he just laid out the plainness of the gospel to all of his family and friends. And I thought, what courage here in the midst of his own heartache to remember what matters, to be able to lay it out so plainly for people who maybe for the only time in their lives of recent memory are willing to at least consider what happens after death. And he lays it out here. This is our desire to be fruitful and productive in these ways. Jesus, he tells us he wants us to be fruitful and we cannot put our fruitfulness on hold in any of these ways we cannot sit on the sidelines and simply lick our wounds because we are overwhelmed. We simply can't play dead. Because fruitfulness in the midst of life's disruptions is vital. Jesus actually he tells us, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. That's what we want. The pruning that takes place in the midst of the disruptions is a good thing. It makes us more fruitful. And we best not forget the warning. That fruitfulness is the expected posture 
of the follower of Christ. It's the expected place to be. When we first uh, came, started the, the church here in the middle of Nassau County, it's like 14, 15 years ago now, and uh, there was East Williston Baptist Church. That's the building that we're currently meeting in over in East Williston. There was an older man there named Ken Asklin. Some of you guys who've been around a long time will remember Ken Asklin. And Ken was quite the character. He uh, was an older man, and he had just, you know, filled with joy and with just uh, a love for Jesus and people. And, but uh, he'd had a tough run. You know, often during the service, he'd have to take off his, his uh, prosthetic leg. Sometimes I think he did it just to mess with us, but he'd pop it off, you know, and the kids around him would be like, ah, what happened? You know, there would be Ken in like row three of the church popping off his leg and kind of rubbing the you know, the sore spot, and as he got a little bit older, you know, his Parkinson's was getting worse and worse, and so we had to disconnect his chair. Our chairs at the old building are ganged together, and, and if we didn't disconnect him, the whole row would squeak because of his shaking. It was getting worse and worse every year. This was the same man that in the midst of all of this going on in his life, when we were talking about taking the East Williston Baptist Church and Beacon and merging them, that with all of his strength, he forced himself up out of his chair, leaning on the things around him. And he raised his hand in the air. We thought for sure he was going to blast this young church and he was going to tell us how terrible we were and how we should leave alone and not use the drums and all this. And instead he said, you know, this is the future. This is how we will reach people for Jesus. And we have to do this thing. And it was just we couldn't even believe it. This, this old saint in this way. Right till the very end, it seemed like his joy continued to increase. He used to have his belt buckle. It was a giant buckle. It said, Jesus saves. It was very weird because you're like, what's that? What are you staring at? Anyway, it was, like, it was so odd, but it was so cool because, and so anyway, he was in the hospital and, you know, he would hang it up next to his bed, you know, like so that people could see it. And he would always like chuckle and snicker. And while, every time he walked in, he was sharing a Bible story. He was praying with one of the nurses. He was encouraging them and listening as he's dying. He's sharing his faith in Jesus, trying to introduce people to his Savior, the one he was just moments away, it seemed, from going home to be with. We're told to be fruitful, and we can do this by resting in Christ. In Galatians, in the fruit of the Spirit, it means the Spirit is there with us. Jesus tells us he's the vine, we're the branches. How do you produce your fruit? It isn't more work for you to have to do. What you need to do is stay connected to the vine. The fruit doesn't work hard to produce itself. All it must do is stay connected to the vine in the midst of life's disruptions. Stay connected to the vine. Make sure the soil of your faith is well watered with the spiritual habits of prayer and solitude and study and fellowship and worship and meditation and reflection. Let this be the soil from which the fruit will grow because you remain connected to the vine and you allow the power of the Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. You will exhaust yourself. So go back to the inexhaustible supply of the Spirit living in you. And let that make you fruitful in the land of suffering. I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in a worship song. And as they do, I want to offer a prayer of consecration to us. Father, what we need is we've gone through the whole of this series and we've looked at the life of Joseph uh, over and over, Father. We have just seen how readily 
you are there to meet us. You even say it in the text that you are that, that you are with Joseph. And Lord, that's what you want. You want to be with us in the midst of it all. Father, so often in these disruptions, we turn away from you. We get frustrated. We get bitter. But Lord, you're saying, let my power work through you, in you, and into the world, even in the midst of these moments. That's what we want, Lord. We want to stand apart from the suffering and the trials. We want to stand firm in Christ with the power of the Spirit. Make that more and more true of us, Lord. We repent of the ways we refuse to do that, and we ask for your strength as we go forward in Christ's name.